What is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we have a special virtual guest that Tony's going to introduce. This is Mitch Cruz. I remember going to these epic car shows. I know that he was a part of it. Uh, he just recently sold that business not too long ago, but for the longest time, everyone in around the Auburn, Indiana area knows the crew's name. It was so epic to see those Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Porsches, all these magnificent, beautiful, expensive vehicles, and just be in that area and that uh, vibration of abundance uh not only does mitch do that but as i was doing some research he has done so much throughout his life i thought he was gonna be older than he actually is <laughs> <laughs> not only does he have the auction company he also has done some things with uh, ministry work and leadership uh, he has multiple foundations investment companies uh, also, the the on the board of the Chevy Museum and Historical Society. It's got all kinds of things going on, and we're so excited to uh, have somebody of this uh, accomplished nature, somebody of this quality, and uh, really excited to interview Mitch and learn all the things that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Uh, you read that just as I wrote it. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, how how did you grow up, Mitch? Because uh, I look at the cruise auction park. Was that something that somebody else in your family started, or was it something that you created with family? I know that it has the cruise name on it. I'll try to give you the shortest version possible. Um, my grandfather's farm flooded in 1952 and his father-in-law my great-grandfather said you know this happens about every seven years maybe you should become an auctioneer and my great-grandfather had a background in clerking and cashiering auctions on a per item basis as the auctioneer would travel with the crowd through the uh, items being sold farm equipment whatever it would be but he would actually cashier each item in addition to clerking it was something to behold. So my grandfather did that. And in 1959, my dad made a deal with his high school principal that if he would keep his grades up and he played sports and stuff that he could work with his dad. And then, and then the principal agreed. And uh, in 1971, um, the Auburn Chamber of Commerce came to my grandfather and said, hey, we're losing money on this reunion of Auburn's Cords and Duesenbergs made in Auburn, Indiana every year. Do you have any ideas? And he said, well, they got for sale signs in them after the parade. Why don't we have an auction? And NBC National News covered it and 15,000 people came. Uh, wow. Back then there was only, uh, the Dairy Queen was the only fast food restaurant on that side. I think Penguin Point was there on another side and it was in a field behind the Dairy Queen and a man turned down $60,000 for his Duesenberg. NBC National Television closed their segment that night that two fools met in Auburn, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> at that point, uh, most Duesenbergs sold for under $5,000 and, and and in my research, the most I could ever find one selling for at that time was 10000 So it was crazy. So the collector car auction thing blew up and then in a, in a good way. And then in the 70, late 70s, 
Um, they were financing collector cars. They lost uh, uh, a lot of money in a very short period of time when people didn't pay them back. And um, I had to make a decision in high school. I was blessed to be part of the best Cal Baron basketball team in the history of the school. We lost by one point on a horrible call for the largest crowd to ever watch a basketball game in uh, the Coliseum, 10,250 people, lost by one, bad call. James Blackman, he'd admit it to this day. Um, <laughs> we're all friends. And um, I had to make a decision. My dad uh, had millions of dollars in debt, 1,500 lawsuits. And I decided to go to uh, get my degree at Indiana University, major in finance, and uh, almost minored in communications. And uh, about my senior year, I created a new corporation, uh, made an agreement with my dad to be an auctioneer for that, chief auctioneer for that. And we had, uh, cars just went crazy. In 1984, I sold the first car to ever sell for a million dollars cash. And that just set the whole thing on fire. Tom Monahan, who owned Domino's Pizza, the Detroit Tigers, uh, took delivery at home plate in Tiger Stadium. And that was international publicity. I had more business people tell me they read about it in the National Enquirer. You're probably too young to even know what that is than any of the business uh, publications like the Wall Street Journal and all that. It was hilarious. Um, it was like a gossip newspaper kind of thing. And they were the most, uh, they had the most attention to detail on making sure the facts were correct. I thought that was interesting because they had a reputation for the opposite. Um, but I created this new company and in 1988, because cars were so, 87, sorry, because cars were so valuable, we started having the auction inside on Labor Day weekend. And then uh, we knew that we there was so much more growth than what we could do there that we ended up being able to develop the auction park to answer your question. And I won't answer everything this long, but to answer your question, uh, we, de we developed that and the, the event grew to be Indiana's third largest crowd drawing event in the world. And then we had 50 other annual events all over the world. So um, I was traveling a lot and I'll get into that. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, we we want those uh, long stories too. <laughs> Once you get off on them, I mean, the the folks who are listening, they say that stories speak directly to the subconscious mind, and so they may be in a similar predicament where they're like, "Hey, my dad's company's going under," and maybe if I can get the right knowledge, the right you know resources, I can turn this thing around. Kind of thing that's amazing that you were able to do that too especially because so, i imagine that your father was a bold man he was taking risks he was trusting himself and then when things started to turn sideways he was looking for answers he just didn't have all the information that he needed uh how what what values did your father instill in you that you appreciate and what things do you wish were different about the way he raised you wow first of all um, if he were on this podcast with us, he would probably agree with every single thing I'm going to say. <laughs> My dad is a politician. He's one of the best auctioneers to ever live. Um, and he loves risk. He does not love return. It, it doesn't motivate him at all. And therefore he thinks everybody else is that way. And that creates a little bit of a problem, uh, in the marketplace if you don't realize what's important to the guy across from you. Now, as a politician and a salesperson, he understood a lot of that, um, but he just loves risk. It's fascinating. Um, so that's the thing I would 
I had to learn to change. And if it weren't for a very bad day at the office and me pursuing uh, what was missing in my life, um, I probably was on a path to just replicate not only his assets, but also his liabilities. Uh, one person says that what parents do in moderation, children will do in excess. And I, I quickly became a workaholic materialist money addict, no question. Walk, uh, us, walk us through that day. Walk us through that decision. Sure. sure. Um, my great-great-grandfather co-founded County Line Church of God 126 years ago, I believe. My brother's now the pastor and 4,000 people call it home. Um, I grew up going to church three times a week. I would walk there. Um, it was it was just down the road from our house out in the country. Um, but after about 10 years in the marketplace, um, I embraced Jesus as a life insurance policy, but maintained control of my own life. And so on July 1st, 1992, the IRS raided us because I just almost laugh uh, when I say that because they thought we were money launderers and we were not. I couldn't even conceive the thought that they had conceived of in their minds. Um, but I found out they had performed the sting operation on us through an undercover agent who had met with my dad and said crazy things that we auctioned 15,000 collector cars a year. Nobody had ever told us, asked us, said anything like this guy had asked. And it just made no sense. But um, I found out later it was the large cash deposits from being the third largest crowd drawing event uh, in Indiana from the gate receipts, the admissions, um, that they thought something was nefarious and it was, it wasn't. Um, so that day I stumbled, I, I decided to reach out to, this is very interesting as I think about it, the most righteous person I knew, but the most accepting. And that was my dad's brother, my uncle, who was an attorney, and he had been a Sunday school teacher of mine. He was a theologian. And I stumbled up the back steps of his law office, went into a, a, a storage room that was just lined, all the walls lined with bookshelves filled, filled with books, uh, most of which he had read. And he asked me a question that changed my life. He said, Mitchell, have you ever thought about changing the scorecard of your life from money to wisdom? Now, I knew Solomon had asked for it, but I didn't know how he would define it. And he said that day that wisdom is God's righteousness intersecting with street smarts. I said, if you're telling me God cares about a collector car option, I need to know that now. That would radically transform my life. And we had just finished 24 straight months of a downward economy. And we were selling about half what we were selling annually before that. And so I thought this raid would be the straw that would break the proverbial camel's back. And um, what happened out of his question was I ended up meeting with him once a week for 10 years. I traveled almost every weekend and a lot during the week. So every Wednesday when I was usually in town, we would meet and he wanted me to teach him. So uh, what I ended up doing is uh, there was this thirst I had for the Bible. I wanted to see how God saw me. I wanted to see how God saw things and wanted to to start doing uh, business in a way that um, revealed God's heart. So I started reading uh, through the Bible cover to cover every year, something I still do to this day. 
And I would apply whatever I learned that day. I would apply it to my auction life, my family life. And I watched God make everything new again. Mm. I had a guy go through something similar a couple generations ahead of me. Tell me one time I wouldn't take a million dollars for that experience, but I wouldn't give 10 cents to go back and do it again. And that's kind of the way (laughs) for the bad stuff for the bad stuff. So what would you say your your purpose is uh, now, like now that you've kind of like recalibrated, went through that, obviously, before you went to, you said you went to school for finance, communication. So it kind of felt like, you know, sometimes I feel like this where I was like, I'm on my path and I know this is the way, but we were in real estate, you know, we're flipping housing and stuff. And I feel very similar, like, okay, real estate is not my purpose. It's not what God has planned for my life. Like this could be a stepping stone. And like, it might be used for a platform or something to like talk about him or like, you know, maybe credibility or something. But I'm curious what that looks like for you. Like what, what about the auction, like kind of goes into purpose or like, why do you think that God put you through that? And what's your purpose now that you found through this whole entire thing? Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We show you where to find the money, how to find the deals, and how to negotiate the deals. We go over live sales calls, including negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, we'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below, buy the course. I think part of what I went through were my own foolish choices. I don't think God was micromanaging a lot of the bad stuff uh, in my life. I think I created plenty. (laughs) Uh, I think uh, in spite of that, uh, God's grace became really new to me because I thought I interpreted the church thing and I surrendered my life to Christ at nine years old, but as be good, do right. Mm-hmm. just do that everything will happen the way it should be ronald reagan was president uh in my early years in business and he said i could do anything and i sure thought i could um but i realized af- after that raid that 24 months of me mimicking my father in a downward business environment would really destroy an organization and i needed a new grid and so that grid became wisdom on how i would make decisions What I watched was God transform everything, my personal life, my family relationships, my business life. And it was like the Job thing. Um, Eight or nine years after that, it was much better than it had been uh, before when it was good. So um, I felt this desire that it couldn't quite describe completely um, to be a carrier of the message I had experienced, not just in the marketplace, a carrier there, but um maybe god was doing something in me ministry wise and maybe i had gotten my question was god did i get my wires crossed i have the wrong signal you know several years ago is this what you were doing with me and my uncle had given me a cassette tape back when those existed i shared this story with a college group of college students and not one of them had ever seen a cassette tape and uh i realized three things at the end of that um first was what i shared with you um it was, I was a recovering, I wasn't recovering yet. I was a workaholic, money addict, materialist. Second thing was, it was the first step of the 12 steps. So I realized I was going to get 11 more tapes. But the third thing that radically trans, uh, really got my attention um, was that it was from a church. And that church was Willow Creek Community Church. And I was really uh, intrigued by it because they would talk about 
things not in a politically correct way. They just talked about things the way they were, sin uh, in its detail. And, and it was just so real and authentic. And I ended up listening to those tapes for and later CDs for the next 14 years, um, whatever messages they had that week. And there was this yearning inside me. Um, I started to get involved with Lakewood Park Christian School. I believe it was October of 1992. And I started looking forward to speaking in what they called Life Lab back then, where a person in the marketplace of faith would come in and talk about how they apply that faith in the marketplace. And I started looking forward to that more than selling a car for a million dollars. And I started really getting my attention over time. And um, I thought that I was going to take my company public. And the the investment bank is walking me through this. And uh, I, you know, if, if my if my dad and I both went down in a plane crash, uh, we flew privately some. Um, I didn't know what would happen to our business my wife, my kids, and all of that. So I thought maybe if we were public, it would allow us to have more of a succession plan, especially for me. And so um, uh, that guy, I, I decided to pray about it. And I said, God, open the door so wide that I can fall through it or close it so tightly that no matter what gifts you've given me, I can't get it open. That next week, the investment banker called me and said, I really should tell you something. I, I, I just, I thought about this, thought about this, thought about this. I think you should be twice as big as you are company-wise before you go public or you're going to have all the detriments and liabilities of being public and not the benefits. He's thinking I'm mad. I'm thinking about the prayer I prayed. I said, okay, thanks, brother. Um, you, you couldn't make this up. I'd say within the next 12 months, a company wanted to buy us and I had some visions for what I could do to grow our company, but I wasn't wealthy enough to do them all at once. I would have to take, you know, quite a bit of time to accomplish those. And if this company would buy us, I realized, man, that's a lot easier than going public. And um, uh, I could accomplish these things immediately. I could take this whole thing to the next level. And we get really far along in negotiations. And I thought, wait a minute, what am I doing? I haven't prayed that prayer. I said, God, open the door so wide that I fall through this or close it so tightly that no matter what gifts you've given me, I can't get this door open. That next week, I'm not making this up. That next week, I get a call and they said, this company's just been acquired by an individual and he's stopping all acquisitions. The guy thinks I'm going to be mad. I mean, a lot of people in this scenario would be upset. I'm thinking about the prayer I prayed. So um, in both those scenarios, I was told by the investment banker, by the new company, you know, you'll have to be here forever. You know, that's the expectation. We're, in essence, we're buying you. And I said, yeah, I get that. I'd never even thought about doing anything else. So God's working on me. God's working on me. And I'm going to share a story within a story. Is that okay? Yeah. So I'm coming home from a continuing education class. It's one of my only weekends that I'll be home. It's a Friday, early evening. And that continuing education class was at my for our licenses was at my facility at the auction park. And the guy I thought would slip me my certificate and I could just walk out the back door and, and head out. And uh, he didn't do that. And he's reading the people's names and I find out while they're in alphabetical order, he gets to K and I'm not there. I thought, oh man, did he forget my certificate? And I look at my watch and, and uh, he uh, gets to the guy's name who starts with Z 
and announces his name and then there's mine at the bottom of the pile so he had thought about giving it to me and he, it just, they just got mixed up so I'm walking out to my vehicle and I said man I'm sick still I'm still sick no matter how much I'm reading the bible how much I'm trying to apply it to my life I'm still wired so tightly I wonder I want to quantify the qualitative how long was I delayed in order to feel this way because of my strong beliefs I looked at my watch and it had been two minutes so I pull out of the auction park, I go uh, south toward my home, and I get to this bridge, and there are a bunch of people looking over a bridge. And cell phones were kind of new at the time. So I pull over and I said, is everything okay? And they said, there's a guy down there. I said, okay. And I start to pull away. They said, no, 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 no. Um, a guy in a truck coming north, I was going south, just crossed the uh, lane and it's flipped over upside down down there. I said, well, I got a cell phone. You want me to call somebody? They said, we just did. I saw a police uh, officer arrive at the scene. I knew who he was and he's down watching him go down there and start to check on the guy. And I said, how long ago did this happen? They said, two minutes. So I go to my next road where I'm going to turn left. I'm getting close to my house and I just felt almost this impression on my chest and I felt like God was telling me it's time. And um, basically, he created a way that was so much better than I would have created that it had to be of him. And basically, eBay uh, had become had made auction the number one buzzword um, on the Internet. And they wanted to acquire our company. So our 400,000 customers would buy and sell cars on eBay. And. Um, Man, there's just all kinds of things that happened that were totally of God. But I had an opportunity to walk away, go to seminary, get my master's and doctorate in theology. I ended up volunteering uh, full time as a teaching pastor at Blackhawk Ministries. We'd watch, we'd baptize a couple hundred people a year. The church just exploded in a good way. And uh, I found out that teaching the Bible in a way that was relevant um, to the audience God uses to draw people to himself. And I watched addicts surrender their lives to Christ. Um, so that's what he did in me. And I became that carrier of the message. And then after about seven years or so at Blackhawk, I started getting really involved. Uh, my weeks were just filled with uh, administrative kind of things, meetings and things like that. And I thought, well, I feel called to lead and teach. If I'm going to administrate, I'm probably going to do it in the marketplace <laughs> been something that I own. And um, I took about a year and a half to make this decision. But what I ended up doing was uh, my mom, my dad, and my wife were radically different people from each other. Um, all told me the same thing. You should have a television program. So I started a television program. I called it Restoration Road, where I would teach the Bible through stories of restoration. And I filmed 500 episodes over 11 years, and it'd be on 50 networks all over the world. It was all God. I didn't set out with a business plan, which is like me to do that. I chose not to watch him do that, transform lives. And then after about 11 years and 500 episodes, a couple of years ago, I decided that uh, it was time to look for the next thing. And that's where I am now. Wow. In the middle for that next thing. I got a real quick question. That's amazing. Might be. <laughs> I got a quick I'll do a quick answer. <laughs> So Kelly Bird, you probably know him then. Um, so that's actually our business coach. Um, so we just hired him on for another year today. He's been with us now for seven months or so. But um, yeah, that that definitely felt divine. What I want to ask you, though, is like, 
how do you distinguish between your grit and like what you want to go and like, all right, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to pursue this thing. I'm going to get it done because that's part of who I am. And I assume you're very similar because like you get and accomplish things and you can't just get distracted. Like, oh, there's an obstacle. Okay. I'm going to do it anyway. In between God's plan, how do you distinguish the difference between the two? Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before, and honestly, we've tried several different CRMs, and RE Simply has been the absolute best. RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now. That's really a, a great question. Um, a succinct answer is the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God. Um, a prompting from God will always be consistent with the Bible. A prompting of God will be reinforced by wise counsel. Yeah. And a prompting from God will be reinforced by a peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. I found that saying, I found that sharing a prompting from God or a temptation hmm. with a fellow believer can be the difference on whether you succumb to that temptation or whether you actually take steps toward that positive prompting from the Holy Spirit. So I think it's important that everyone has a mutual walk life partner or two or three in their lives. Great question. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, as I... As I look at, first of all, you're telling some awesome stories. Thank you so much <laughs> for diving deep into these. And uh, I love that story within a story thing. That's uh, something I, I studied neuro-linguistic programming that actually like really speaks to people in a new, uh, a renewing, a renewing kind of way. Um, how much would you say that uh, business is a reflection of uh, what you are lacking. Cause, uh, you know, when it comes to entrepreneurship, there's a saying that entrepreneurship is just personal development and disguise. Do you feel like the areas that you are weak become exposed when you're in the business world? Absolutely. I think, um, I think weaknesses in business need to be addressed immediately or that business won't last long. In ministry, I've noticed that, uh, and it's because of maybe how we see verses like, uh, when I am weak, he is strong. <laughs> and that means weak in the flesh and selfishness. Uh, you know, we can trust in him. When I humble my heart to him, I can trust in him. He's strong. I, I must decrease. He must increase. But um, liabilities in business get exposed on a daily basis. And if they're not corrected, it's the beginning of a downward spiral. And it's a little bit that way in our spiritual lives. You know, if we are tempted and we're succumbing to some kind of temptation, whatever that fix uh, uh, form it comes in, um, we're in a downward spiral. And if we don't repent, if we don't see it differently, if we don't surrender it to Christ, allow him to make us new again, then we're on a pathway toward destruction. So you have, uh, I think, multiple kids. How many do you have four? I'm a girl dad. I have four daughters. Four daughters. Okay. Awesome. Um, I have two grandchildren, a four-year-old a four granddaughter and a 15, 16-month-old grandson. 
I love it. So I'm always curious because uh, I mean, Tony has a daughter as well. And I'm, I don't have kids yet, but I'm just thinking it through because like we're doing pretty well. We're at an age in life and, and, and different things monetarily. And so it's always interesting to think about, okay, how much should, because I was, I grew up extremely poor, was in foster care, just had like, you know, a lot of different drugs and just a lot of different negative things in my life that actually turned me into the person that I am today. And I, so I see that as like, the struggle is very good. A blessing. It, yeah. It's like, man, I'm so glad that I was to go through that stuff because now it gives me more purpose and strength in my life. Whereas I see um, other people who parents who did really well that now they go off. And obviously you have both and both sides because a lot of people came from drugs. They end up in the same place as well. So I'm just curious from your perspective, how do you see with your daughters with like these stuff that you've accumulated? Do you like kind of force them to struggle? Do you make it a struggle or do you just like, hey, I'm going to provide for you? How do you process through all of that? It's a great question. Um, I, in, in, in my parenting, um, before they were adults, I would bring up from time to time that most of our problems are first world problems. Mm -hmm. don't know what real trials are like. I mean, and they couldn't comprehend what I had been through. Uh, but again, I had helped create a lot of that mess. Um, in a, in a parenting position, we want, our job is to get ourselves out of a job. And I wrote a book on street smarts called street smarts from Proverbs. And it centers on the 12 concepts of which Proverbs is written. Proverbs looks like the most loosely outlined book in the Bible, but it's the tightest outlined book in the Bible. And Solomon wrote it for one reason, for emerging leaders. Mm. So in uh, what I did is I studied those 12 words over time. And my uncle had introduced me to those, but it began a lifelong study. And so I would learn more, teach more. I did series at Blackhawk about it. I did a television series on it and a, a radio series. And as I would do all these more and more um, Holy Spirit promptings and impacts and revelation of the teaching would come to me. So that's what led me to the book because these are things that God used to transform my life more than anything. So there's this word, uh, one of the 12 words that Proverbs is centered on, which is discipline. And discipline and disciple come from the same root word and it's, uh, it means learner. So I'm gonna take you around the track of discipline real quickly. The first one is teach. And teach can be defined as I do, you watch. Um, you get to turn two and it's train. So like if we're in a basketball practice, I teach you, I do, you watch, now train. Now I'm gonna do, you're gonna help. And uh, then turn three is test. We're gonna scrimmage. We're gonna have an opportunity to fail. And test is you do, I help. Uh, and then our jobs to get ourselves out of a job, transform is the correction stage. And that's you do, I watch. Some people define it as you do, I pray. <laughs> but I, for that to occur, it's one thing to know that and to say that, but for that to occur, you have to look for opportunities for authority to equal responsibility. And that's God's idea of ownership. Uh, authority without responsibility is supremacy. Responsibility without authority is slavery. God's designed that they would be together and that we would be owners. We'd be owners of our own lives and we would 
act and think like owners in everything that we do. When you guys buy and sell a house, you're acting on you're acting on your own account. You're the owners. Uh, all authority and responsibility rests with you, and and that's the issue. So I also um, because I'm a guy. I was very skeptical of any guy that wanted to date or marry my daughter. <laughs> and um, so I, I wanted my girls to not live in a fantasy thought process of, of authority not equaling responsibility. So as adults, I told them, so when you get married, it, it, and they're all uh, college athletes, um, so they balanced they were straight A students, college athletes, college, you know, got scholarships and all that stuff. And so they they performed and they performed well and their character was strong. And nobody's without flaws and mistakes. And that that happens to all of us, of course. Um, but they were they did really well. They owned their faith. I got remind me to say something more about faith and uh, the transference of faith. Um, but I told them, you know, when you get married, you're on your own. So I want authority and responsibility to still be equal. So you got to make sure you can afford it. I think a lot of young people think we're just going to do this and we'll go live in our parents' basement. That's not the way it works. An Italian guy told me one time, his mom said, only, there's only one queen of every castle. <laughs> <laughs> and But that transferring of faith, what I want to say is this. I think kids will go through this stage. They'll borrow it their parents' faith, they'll rent it, they'll lease it, and then maybe they'll own it. So they're always just kind of testing the waters until they make their own decision of owning it. Mm -hmm. Great question, though. I do think uh, the strongest deal is made in the hottest fire, and God will take anything that we've been through to shape us to be more like Christ. Romans 8.28 says everything works together for good for those who love Lord and call and according his purpose. But what is good? What is success? What's God's definition of success? The beauty of that is Paul writes it in the very next verse and it's to be shaped like Christ. So win, lose, or draw. Western world and our interesting materialistic values, <laughs> Eastern world um, where uh, Christ lived, um, doesn't matter win lose or draw god will shape us to be like christ love it um i'm wondering it seems like you have uh received a lot of gifts from god and you have a lot uh, in abundance uh in love in uh meaning in purpose and physical assets and that you have an abundance. Do you have everything that you want? Uh, there's Ed Milet talks about being blissfully dissatisfied, how he's thankful for everything that he's got, but he's still pursuing, still growing, still pushing. And so, you know, a question from uh, folks who are still kind of building a legacy, creating everything that we want in our lives, we might, we might, not necessarily, but we might look at you and say, why do you still want stuff, Mitch? Don't you already have everything <laughs> that you could ever need? So where do you uh, find yourself at? Do you think that you've got everything that you want? Solomon says in Proverbs that the eyes are never satisfied. And that's uh, not necessarily a good thing. Um, that being said, 
Um, he also writes that we should work hard, work smart, and my paraphrase, we should yield the outcomes to God. I would do with all my heart, Colossians 3.23, Colossians 3.17, whatever it is God's called me to do, but he's so much more interested in who we're designed to be and all of our time until the very end on this side, he's shaping, he's taking those impurities that come to the top as in the refinement of metal and he's removing those as we confess them to him until he sees his reflection in that metal, just like a refiner's fire. And that's what's most important to God. Um, who we are designed to be will determine what we're designed to do, which will determine where we're designed to go. In our Western culture, especially, we think that if we go somewhere and do something, we will be somebody. And God has flipped that. And, and uh, actually, it was his original design. We flipped it. And that's what I need to be reminded of on a daily basis. When I listen to God, when I read the Bible, when I pray, um, I want to be shaped more like Christ. So my definition of success has changed. John Maxwell changed his to, and I got to, I was fortunate to spend a lot of time with him. Uh, those who know me best love and respect me the most. And so you can't go down that road very far and not start holding things with an open hand. Yeah, I'll see things that I want. And it's one of the wealthiest guys in the United States was at one of my collector car auctions one time. And I asked him a question similar to this. And I said, how do you like, in essence, how do you keep from buying everything? Oh, Mitchell, this is, this is easy answer. I said, well, what is it? He says, when I walk through your doors in my mind, I buy every single car. I drive it. I enjoy it. I love it. And he says, when I walk out your doors, I sell every single one of those cars. He said, I have all that enjoyment and it didn't cost me a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct to seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about batch leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and driving for dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try batch leads today. That's awesome. Everything, yeah. God wants all of our time, talent, and treasure. Sorry to interrupt. God wants all of our time, talent, and treasure to be used to advance his kingdom in the hearts and lives of others. That's that's his desire. Yeah, I think a lot about a similar, like similar question with uh with that. And I just think about my own personal life. And I I explain this because like we have some people that we mentor and stuff like that as well, like different people that work with us, and they're always asking, you know, what's the purpose? What's this? And I'm like, man, sometimes it's not always about what you do. But again, about who you are while you're doing that thing. And that's why I really stress that with us is like, dude, we're not just we're not just buying and selling houses. It's about doing it ethically because a lot of people don't believe you can do that. It's about like caring about these people because like we hear we see some people in some really low spots. And it's like, you know, we kind of like those are the people that we usually work with. We, we work with some wealthy people who maybe, you know, 
just they don't feel like dealing with a duplex because they're working on a multi-million dollar project so like they'll give it away with some equity in it because it's just not worth their time but most of the people that we work with are in situations that they need help and so that's like again it's not about what we do per se about but how we do the things that we do and i think it's kind of similar to what you're saying but i think it's very important to always point it back because i think sometimes at least i'll speak for myself personally sometimes i point it back to me instead of pointing it back to God, like, okay, I'm going to do good. I'm going to do this. And like, it's no, I'm doing this to go back to him. And the reason that I'm doing that is because of him in the first place. And so, yeah, I think that's very similar what you talk about that, but that's something that I struggle through a lot is like exactly that. What am I supposed to do with my life? And I think that most kids or people out of high school, college people are asking, what do I do? And maybe it is the Western culture, but it's again, like you said, who should we be is a way better question. And who's are we, I guess. So um, I like describing that as what you just said is worshiping God the most where others expect it the least. And that's in a business transaction. Mm. You guys help the person on the other side of the table. You're worshiping God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me uh, do a little exercise with you, Mitch. This will be an interesting thing. Do you, do you believe that you are best at starting, changing, or stopping things? Starting. Uh, are you worst at changing or stopping things? Stopping for sure. Stopping? Yeah. What do you not have that you would really like to have in your life? Hair. What what do you say? Hair on top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they've got they, I got a guy uh his name's Eric. He just got the whole surgery done. It's a lot cheaper if you you go down to Colombia or Mexico or Peru. They have they have some really good establishments there. You can get that done. I was prematurely bald, and I looked into that in my early twenties. And just most people I saw that did it, it would look like uh, we're getting away from the topic. Where it looked like corn uh, rows. You know what I mean? Like a like a field. That kind of corn rows of corn. Because when it would thin out, it wouldn't look so well, look so good. But I had a customer who owned a business that was a household name. And he, he'd spend a few hours a day working out. So he's just chiseled. And he's quite a, you know, he's a, he's a generation above me in age, probably. And he comes walking up, just looking so cool and fit to the podium. And I looked at his hair. And back then, so we're talking, oh, my goodness, 30 years ago, at least. He had spent $150,000 on his hair. He would have been bald like me. It looked beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, hair, uh, there's really nothing. Um, I, I There's this uh, neurological study, I guess, that you can't be. Gratitude and anxiety theoretically doesn't coexist in the brain at the same moment. And I had done an outreach and filmed it um, in Manila at City of Veterans where 60,000 people live in a landfill. And uh, that represented about 16 to 20,000 families. And their houses were shanties. And a pastor of a dozen churches um, decided to plant a church in a school in what he deemed this place as the worst place economically there was, and then also uh, spiritually impoverished. And so we came with him 
did an outreach for a week, culminated it in uh, live worship events where I preached through a translator. And everybody in attendance rendered their lives to Christ. And um, I came back from that experience thinking, man, this goes back to those first world only problems. And uh, I thought, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And uh, I can remember the negative in conversation. Uh, I have an inner critic uh, in things, woodwork, cars, you know, you know, collectibles, whatever it is. And imperfection really bothers me. And I didn't know about this neurological study. I think it happened maybe 20 years later. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to be thankful every single time. Uh, I feel like something like that's happening to me. Like I want something different, I want something more or something different. I'm going to be content in Christ. And God has used that to really transform my life. Doesn't mean I always get it right though. Okay, no, that was okay. Uh, so I want to actually go into uh, uh, relationships. So, so you've been married. How long have you been married for? Uh, 39 years in a few days. Wow. 39 years. That's awesome. We're so, 19. That's crazy. Uh, so you said you're a recovering perfectionist. And so I feel like I get that way a little bit. And then I started to get that way with humans. And so yeah. I'm curious on like uh, how your marriage evolved and like if you started to notice certain things in the beginning, like, oh, man, I really don't like this. How do you go about letting the other person know, have that communication? Or is it just like you don't say anything about your expectations or how do you how do you work through all of that? And with kids, if you want to talk about your wife and then your relationships, like how do you struggle through that? That's really a great question. Um, opposites attract and then uh, within seven years, they attack. And so um, every relationship will have a rocky period, probably within that first seven years, a, a rocky period of some kind. Some are more intense than others. Um, my wife and I, in many ways, are opposites. And in many ways, we're very much alike. Uh, she has the perfectionism as well a little bit. Um, but really what happens as a husband and as a father, you end up being a lifelong student, learning and seeking to understand from your spouse and your children without passing judgment on your spouse. Now, there'll be times when you're doing judgment with your kids, for sure. Um, but to answer your question, it's to constantly seek to learn what's motivating um, my wife. Um, Gary Chapman wrote the book Five Love Languages and for me to remember it I got five T's time, touch, talk uh, treasures or trinkets and tasks my love language is different than my wife's so it's important that I love her in the way she wants to be loved and then if she wants to chooses to it's all up to her to love me in the way that I'm designed, that I like to be loved. But what the, re the only point in knowing those five T's is to know how to love your spouse, not to tell them how to love you. Uh, because we have a tendency with blind spots to love the way we want to be loved. Okay. Uh, do you, they, they say that the two primary fears of mankind is first now above death 
uh, social humiliation, and then secondly, death. As uh, you've grown in faith and you've gotten older, do you feel yourself getting to a point where you've become more accepting and more embracing of the fact that you will die someday? Oh, no question. What happens as you get older is more and more of your friends are on the other side, more and more of the people you dealt with uh, in business, they're on the other side. Um, Jerry Seinfeld uh, had a little thing on this. He said, uh, back then, he said, the number one fear uh, is public speaking and the number two fear is death. And he said, so people would rather be the person in the box at a funeral than the person given the eulogy. <laughs> I, um, I, no, I, I'm ready for the other side. This is really a rehearsal. I'm telling you guys, I cannot emphasize it enough. It flies by. It really is a vapor. It's, it's like breathing in to that cold school bus window and creating that mist and then writing your initials in that mist. That's what's going on. God's writing his story on our hearts in this mist, this vapor that just is so goes by so quickly. I am in shock at how quickly it goes. And so, no, I'm, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, I think part of that though, is when I was, um, pretty young, my best friend, uh, at that time had won back to back pole positions at the Indianapolis 500. And I had, I was supposed to be there for the second, but my oldest daughter had a birthday. And he said, don't you dare miss her birthday party. You do that thing. And he said, you know, you'll come down race day and I'll, we'll have plenty of times during the month of May uh, to do stuff together at the track. Well, in dramatic fashion, he waved off. Uh, I think he was in the middle of the second row and he waved it off. And right before 6 p.m., he goes out and he makes a run for the pole and he wins it and sets a track record that has stood to this day for the pole position. Uh, the the speed was broken once, but not for the pole position. So he had just won back-to-back -back pole positions. And um, I have an auction going on in Auburn. We started Auburn in the spring. And my buddy, who was my high school basketball team manager, was working with us. And he buzzed me on, my, on an intercom in the office and said, um, Scott's been in an accident at the track, but I don't think it's anything big. Well, I called his cell phone. I called his garage. I called his apartment in Indianapolis. I called his house. I called the business in Coldwater, Michigan. And I'm starting to sense that something is up. Well, um, I went home, turned on ESPN, and they, at that time, were showing us what had happened. He went into turn two and had a faulty tire that disintegrated and the wheel on the oily pavement became like ice and he had nobody could control the vehicle at that point. And here's what I saw again and again. Alive, the car spins. Alive, the car spins. He hits the wall, dead. And that really rocked my world. That caused me to pursue the Bible and what it says about eternal life more than I ever had before. And um, that really got my attention on the brevity of life and the value of life.
And so I'd say no matter what position anyone here listening is in, they need to realize what I came to realize. I can't live in the past. I can think about the future, but I can't live in it. I can only live in the present. And that's why it's a gift from God. Wow. That's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I don't even know what to ask. Say now. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, could, we could just move on to the... Yeah. I want to... So... I guess I'll ask you this one last thing. So I just did this study actually on wisdom and it sounds like you've studied this a lot. It sounds like exactly, it's very similar. You went from Proverbs and Proverbs from my understanding from when I read it and when I like study it and stuff, it talks a lot about uh, kind of like karma in a way of like, hey, you do good, it's more likely to get good. And so I, I kind of think of that as like, okay, the more that you pursue God, the more that you do good, the higher the chances, but it, like, then you go into Ecclesiastes and it's like, no, everything's really chance. And like, our life is but a vapor and we're going to be here. And like, you think it's there and then you go to grasp it and it's not really there. And then you go into Job and then like, it was like, he was doing everything the right way, but then chances had it that it just went horrible for him. And then he got it all back, which is interesting. And then we just don't know everything that's going on. So whenever you look at like, all of that stuff like what do you feel like truly is the meaning or like how do you become successful like how do you become fulfilled like what does it all mean what's the purpose and like uh do you think if you do good you get good or like why do some people have success others don't like i know that's a lot of questions on one but i think it's a general understanding um, Proverbs means generally true most of the time and generally true most of the time our choices are going to be on the wise side with good consequences or the foolish side with bad consequences and square one in wisdom is Proverbs 1 7 it's the fear of the Lord and that means humility toward him bending the knees of my heart toward God and so um, each one of us has a spiritual heart like a physical heart and it has four chambers and you can remember it in the acronym wise will intellect spirit emotions the will is a chamber of our choices the intellect is our minds the chamber of our thoughts the spirit s is the lead chamber of our prayers and the e emotions as a chamber of our feelings and so in order to surrender our lives to christ um, we need to choose to with our wills believe to or think to with our minds our intellect uh, pray to with our spirits and want to with our emotions. There is an emotive element to faith. And what God does then is he begins to uh, shape our hearts like clay in the potter's hands. And every one of us is created with four primary desires, I believe, from scripture. And it's significance, control, security and contentment and if it were like a wheel um pride goes to the outside of the wheel and tries to satisfy our own desires uh, ourselves and so the more we pursue that the, the wheel was created to get us places faster and take our stuff with us so that's kind of what we do and the more we pursue significance apart from god the more insignificant we feel the more we pursue control apart from God, the more out of control our lives are. The more we pursue 
um, security apart from God, the more insecure we'll be. And the more uh, we pursue contentment apart from God, the more discontented we'll become. And at the hub of that wheel where all four sections meet is Jesus Christ. And engineers tell me that at that point, at the hub of the wheel, there's total peace. So I'll work backwards. If we're really searching for contentment, what we really want is peace. And Jesus Christ is the peace of God. When we want security, what we really want is something to be true all the time. And Jesus Christ is the truth of God. When we uh, want control, what we're really seeking is power. And Jesus Christ is the power of God. And then significance, there is no greater significance than love. One so unmerited, so undeserved that it's called grace. And Jesus Christ is the love of God. So Jesus is literally the answer to every single desire that we have. Last question I want to ask before we get to closing questions is perfectionism. Do you think that that is like, you know, you talk about the only way that we're ever going to feel truly happy or satisfied and stuff is when we stop worrying about what the world wants. I'm paraphrasing here, but what the world wants and more about what God wants. Do you think perfectionism looks to the outside in order to like make sure that everybody else please? Or do you think that is more of an internal thing of like, no, I need it to be this way. Or do you think that I need it to be this way so everybody else sees it and then they see me as like creating this result? Do you think it's a reflection about you looking outward or is it like, no, this is for me and because I want to please God? Um, A perfectionist usually is dealing with something that's on the inside But what I like to suggest is that we ask, what gift am I using for myself that God's intended me to use for him and for others? Uh, You can't really minister. You can't really bless God without blessing others, ministering to others. So that's what usually um, happens is uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says that we should use whatever gift we have received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What we tend to do is to use whatever gift we have to serve ourselves. Mm. So we, uh, it goes back to being image conscious or conscious or image managers. Uh, what you said about social uh, embarrassment kind of a thing, humiliation. Um, if we're worried about that, we're going to be really, really hard to get along with and we'll never be satisfied. Pursue the outside of the wheel and try to satisfy our desires apart from God will be dissatisfied. Live at the hub of the wheel, humble our hearts to God, and that's where he will satisfy our desires. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, humble your, or delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I had a young lady ask me one time in a Bible study when I was pretty young. <laughs> she said, does that mean he'll tell us what our desires are or he'll let us have them? And my uncle was in that Bible study. He says, Mitchell, I think you should study that and come back to us with that answer next week. Oh, that's wonderful. So I did the best I could. And uh, delight um, in Hebrew means to humble ourselves to him and give us our desires of our heart is Nathan in Hebrew. It means to orchestrate. So when we humble ourselves to God, he orchestrates in us our desires to be like his. It's really what prayer is being online with God 24-7. We upload our requests. He downloads his presence. This final question is one that we ask everybody, and uh, I'm looking forward to your answer. I think uh, we'll just imagine, you know, many, many hairs from now, years, many years from now, 
42 years from now, you're 100 years old, you're on your deathbed. You have a final <laughs> message. <to the> <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> you have a final message to the world. And uh, it, it could be a billboard, it could be a mantra, it could be a few sentences, and everybody will point to that and be like, that was Mitch. That was who he was. That was his final message to the world. It resonates with me, and I know 100%, without a doubt, that's what Mitch would have said. What is your message to the world? What do you want people to hear? Um, full surrender. Um, Jeremiah 3.10 says that partial surrender to God is pretending. Mm. And when we fully surrender to him, that's when we experience what he has in place for us. Um, and the picture of that is the vertical intersecting with the horizontal, and it's the picture of the cross. Uh, it looks like you're reminded of the cross every single day. <laughs> and um, vertical is my relationship with God, and horizontal is my relationship with others. Uh, pride is the lock on the human heart, but humility is that cross-shaped key. When I humble myself to God and I live that out in humbling myself to others, uh, I experience what he has in store for me. Love it. Well, I got a lot more questions that I want to ask you, but... Uh... Part two. This is the end of this podcast, at yeah. least. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the end of this one, and then, uh, yeah, hopefully we can we can have you on if you have some more time in the sometime in the future. Because yeah, got a lot more questions that we love to ask you, and I know that uh, our audience definitely got a lot of benefit from this. So just want to say thank you for coming on and taking the time, and we definitely appreciate you, man. Hey, Dakota, Tony, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. You inspire me and countless others. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. God bless you. See ya.